Hey, I would love to introduce uh, what we're going to be talking about uh, today. In a moment, Simon's going to come and speak to us. And as you know, if you've been here for the last few weeks, we have been tracking through our, our vision. Uh, you know, it's an exciting place to be, St. Paul Shadwell. I get really excited. In fact, I, maybe I say the word excited too much. Someone said to me, you know, actually, if we write your kind of epitaph, I don't know why they were thinking about my epitaph yet, but if we write your epitaph, maybe we're just going to say, he was excited. Um, but I, I genuinely, I'm excited because the vision that God has given us in this place is exciting. Am I right? It is. Okay, we have a big, bold vision to make disciples to transform communities and to plant churches. Uh, and we often say that the most amazing thing about our vision is we don't just get to talk about it. You know, we, we get to see it played out before us because God is at work among us, realizing the vision that he has given to us. You know, and it has been so exciting over the last couple of weeks listening to Mark and then to Michael speaking about how we're making disciples, how we're transforming our communities. Uh, and it, it really was great last week, you know, just engaging with some of those community projects that Michael was reminding us of. You know, it's so easy to think, you know, what is God doing? And we, we kind of get used to, you know, just what's going on in church. And every now and again, we take a step back and we're able to say, wow, actually, it's amazing. The lives that are being impacted, uh, you know, the way that God is building his church in this place. Uh, and of course, a key part of our vision is planting churches. Yeah, I remember when, um, not long after, I've, uh, I've been here for three years. Uh, uh, if I've not met you, I'm, I'm the rector here. My name's Phil. Sorry, I should have said that. Um, you know, and I, one of our first PCC uh, meetings um, after I was here, which is our kind of group of trustees that help uh, hold uh, us all accountable for what it is we're doing and how we're outworking the vision uh, of this church, how we're using our resources wisely. Uh, I, I remember I, I kind of just put a question to the to the PCC, and I said, "Well, mate, you know this, you know, planting churches. You know, it, it's this is really it's a great thing. We want to keep doing that, but actually, do we want to kind of expand that kind of?" pillar of our vision a bit and maybe rather than saying planting churches sort of talk about just kind of growing churches or you know because there's lots of different initiatives and things that we're doing and the PCC said to me no they said we will plant churches and uh, and I thought wow what an amazing thing actually we've got this incredible group of leaders here in this church uh, and I know that this is a value that flows out from that you know that we yes we are gonna plant churches and it is so exciting when we consider our story. And, and if you've been here for a while, you will know this. Uh, but I want to tell you again, if you are, and especially if you are new, you know, there's an amazing, deep and rich history of planting and of generosity here in this place. In fact, there's been worshipping communities here on this site for over 350 years. You know, over 350 years ago, we were a church plant from St. Dunstan's in Stepney, uh, just a little way up the road, right near the farm. Uh, they planted a chapel of ease, uh, a non-conformist minister. I love the fact that he was a non-conformist minister called Matthew Mead, came over in 1656 to plant a chapel of ease to reach out uh, to the sailors, to the sea captains, to the labourers of the London Dock. And for 350 years, uh, that kind of place of ease and of rest has existed here. Uh, and we get the privilege of stepping into that story and helping write the next chapter. And of course, over the last decade, God has really been working hard amongst us. It's amazing as we consider our story that in the last nine years, We've seen four significant plants go out into Tower 
hamlets uh, that, that have kind of really brought fresh life into Anglican churches. You know, it's a remarkable thing that God has done. And actually, hundreds of people have been touched through that. You know, and the kind of stories of transformation that we were considering last week have been echoed out in different parts of our borough because of that, because of the generosity uh, of this church, of all of you, in sending out and planting uh, new churches. Yeah, we've raised up uh, six new leaders gone into ordination training. Five of them have been ordained now in the last three years. Uh, we've now got another six people uh, that, are, that are heading that way and, and are in this kind of process of, of discernment, heading towards training. It's an amazing thing that this church is raising up and releasing new leaders. Yeah, we've, we've begun to see the plants that we planted planting other churches. You know, we've got a couple of grandkids now. You know, it's amazing. We know about Benedict, uh, who's gone to Canning Town from All Hallows Bow, and actually Dan Scott, I know some of you will know him. Dan was also at All Hallows. Uh, he's just gone and planted out into Stratford, and they had their first event this weekend. And it was really exciting to see what they had been doing, reaching out into that community around the Three Mills area. You know, these are your grandkids. You know, we plant churches that plant. You know, this is an amazing way of seeing God's kingdom multiplied and replicated. You know, lots of you will know Ed and Katie Stock, who are now south of the river. You know, God even works south of the river. You know, and thank you to all of you that have come up south of the river, up to the, up to the north side uh, today. You know, it's amazing to see the way that God is working amongst us as we've been able to support that initiative down in Sydenham. You know, this year is an exciting year. You know, Jason and Pam, we were able to pray for them uh, in, in January as they looked to plant a new church uh, based out of Husk. You know, we were able to think about that again a little bit last week as Brian, uh, who came on Alpha, shared his story and how he's uh, got caught up in that planting movement. Kingdom Roots, a new church established here again in our borough in Limehouse. You know, this is coming out of your generosity to plant and to send I'm really excited because at the end of this uh, next month, in the end of October, I'm going to be going back and seeing Father Bernard again. Father Bernard wrote to me, uh, many of you will know, um, he uh, was a Catholic priest that came uh, and kind of interned here, sort of just kind of got in the mix here for six months because he wanted to learn about this, uh, this kind of heart to plant and see renewal and fresh life in, uh, in churches. And so he came from the Roman Catholic Church, the Archdiocese of Vienna in Austria, and he spent time here uh, with all of you just kind of learning from your heart. And, and then we were able to send him back at Easter. And, uh, and he wrote to me uh, at the end of last month, said, Phil, I'd love for you to come out at the end of October because our vicar general is going to be properly commissioning and praying for us as a new uh, church and a new congregation within uh, this Catholic context. Uh, but we really consider ourselves as people sent from SPS. And I'd love you to be there and to be able to be a part of that. You know, and, and it's just such a credit to all of you, to what God is doing here, uh, that actually the generosity that exists in this place ripples out beyond the borders of our country even, uh, across Europe. Uh, and actually, I get the great privilege uh, quite a lot. And it's nice to be able to share it on a Sunday because we don't often talk about it, but people from actually all over the world come here to kind of little old us to say, hey, we'd love to hear a bit of your story. We'd love to just talk to you about the journey of generosity and church planting that you have been on. Uh, and actually, just even in the last uh, few months, I've had the great privilege of being able to sit down and talk about your story with people from across Europe, from Denmark, from Finland, from Austria, from Germany. Uh, it's incredible. You know, people from Australia uh, have come over, groups of pastors saying, we, wanna, we just want to hear a little bit about 
your story. It's a really humbling thing to think of the way that God is working amongst us and the, and the impact uh, that this story, your story, is having around the world. You know, there's so much that we can give thanks for when we think about this sense of planting churches, planting, planting, planting. It's a value that we hold. You know, planting, the word planting, it kind of, kind of summons that sense of, of generously sowing, of generously initiating something that bears fruit. You know, and that is what you are all involved in. Uh, and we're going to think uh, a little bit more about that part of our vision uh, and that part of our values, the value of planting that exists here amongst us this morning. So are you excited? I'm excited. Hey, uh, Simon, let's give Simon a, a great uh, uh, encouragement as he comes to bring the word. Thanks, man. Hey, how's everyone doing? All well? I must um, apologize. See this here? This is, um, yes, it's a tarantula on my neck. It's a tattoo. It's not an actual tattoo. Don't worry, I wouldn't do that to myself. I was at a birthday yesterday, and um, there were some kids around, and we were doing some, like, little kids' tattoos. All the adults threw the kids off the table, and um, we were, Nikki, actually, Nikki Wong put this spider on my neck, so thank him. And I can't rub it off. I tried to, but unfortunately, it's just going to be there, so unless you get, you know, you're going to get distracted, obviously, so I thought I'd just put it out there for you. Anyway, moving right along. Planting churches, that's what we're talking about. And at the end of the service, we're going to ask you to go and plant a church. No, we're not. Don't worry. Don't freak out. Don't freak out. It's all good, okay? Just chill. But today, we are talking about vision. And uh, the wise uh, King Solomon said that without a vision, people perish. And so it's so important, isn't it, in our individual lives, in our lives together as a community of people, that we know where we're going in life, that we know where we're headed. And when we're talking about vision, that's what it's about. This is what's before us. This is where we're going. We're setting the course. And um, I'm certainly glad that it's a vision that is made clear, right? I mean, you go to some churches and the vision's so ambiguous. It's like, hey, what's the vision around her? And it's like, well, we kind of do this and we kind of do this and we're kind of going this way. And it's like, okay, but what does all that mean, you know? It's very clear here, isn't it? So let's, um, let's, thank, let's thank the team for pulling together a clear vision so we actually know what it is. We can kind of see it and touch it and, you know, see it happening. Anyway, today, you're, you're awake, you're good, you're feeling alive this morning. Um, did Australia win this morning, Sean? You don't know, okay. Hopefully they lost. They, they didn't. Oh, that's brilliant. This made my day. We are going to turn to Matthew chapter 16. And this morning, in the context of planting churches, we're going to look at the nature of the church. What is the nature of the church? Um, Matthew 16, if you're with me, it should be on the screens up there as well, the big Bible, if you are struggling to find it in the little ones. It says here, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do men say, or who do people rather, say that the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I missed a chunk of thing out there, didn't I? Yeah, scripture, sorry, not thing. Um, who do men say that? Um, okay, sorry, 
I, I don't think I copied all the scripture in my notes here, but I'm just going to read it. Here we go. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed, is, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Father, we thank you for your word. We know that it's a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to speak about vision today. Lord, and we ask today that as your word gets gets communicated, Lord, that you would give us fresh eyes to see what, what you would have us to see this morning, God. I pray you would inspire us. Father, fill us with faith this morning for the future, that we know the best is yet to come. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Um, to really understand what is happening in this scripture, we need to sort of have an idea of, of the context and um, put the pieces together a little bit this morning. So we're going to spend just a little bit of time doing that. When I was uh, about 10 to sort of 12, I just had a thing with, with dressing up. Obviously, it hasn't changed. But um, especially when I was about 11, right, I used to love dressing up. We, we used to have like this um, treasure chest down in our, in our basement. And in it, we would fill it with pirate's clothing. And, you know, I was really obsessed with cowboys at one point. And I remember saying to my mom, Mom, I, I've, I've got to have these cowboy boots. And I, and I, um, I, I don't know if you remember Dances with Wolves. That was my favorite film from like, it's odd, I know, but as a 12-year-old boy, I was like, this was my thing. And so I had to have Kevin Costner's cowboy boots. And so we weren't searching. I made my mum search through charity shops, everywhere to find these boots because I had to have them. And I saw loads of boots as a 12-year-old kid. I was like, no, that's not them. And I'm like, you know, I had to get them. Anyway, eventually found them and I was so happy, such a, such a happy little kid. Anyway, all that to say that this scene is kind of like me trying to find my cowboy boots, okay? You've got the nation of Israel who are expecting, anticipating, waiting um, for the one, the Messiah who is to come to, in their eyes, free them from Roman oppression. This guy Jesus turns up on the scene. He's doing signs and wonders, miracles. His teaching is amazing. This is a little bit now into Jesus' ministry, and the church chatter has begun, okay? People have began to formulate their opinions about Jesus. Who is this man? Is he the one that we've been waiting for? Is he the one that we've been seeking, the one that we've been anticipating, expecting, longing, waiting for? He's going to free us from this Roman oppression. He's going to bring the kingdom, isn't he? And so Jesus takes his disciples on a holiday. He takes them to a little place called Caesarea Philippi, which was, in fact, a region um, occupied by, by Romans and, and Grecian culture. Uh, but it was sort of a holiday destination for the Romans. It was kind of a debaucherous city. They had very, like, crazy festivals, okay, um, in Caesarea Philippi. So it's an odd place um, that Jesus would take his disciples. In Caesarea Philippi, there is this, this place which has this huge sort of rock. And in this huge rock, um, the locals would carve out like pigeonholes in the rock. And what they would do is they would set their idols 
in these, in this, in these pigeonholes in the rock. And then people would pilgrim up to these, um, go on pilgrimage up to this rock, and they would offer sacrifices to the various gods of which there were many gods at that time, idols, okay? And so Jesus brings his disciples, and he takes them to this place, this rock of worship. It's a very odd thing to do for Jesus. Anyway, as he stands before this, in front of this rock, before all these other gods, he poses this question to his disciples, who do men say that I am? His disciples say, well, some say that you're Elijah, some say that you're Jeremiah, some say that you're this, some say that you're that. He's like, I'm not so interested in what everybody else is saying as much as I'm interested in what you, what you think I am. So he asks, who do you think I am? Many of them, like, they go silent. Peter speaks up amongst them as the story goes, and he says, I think that you are the Messiah, the one that we've all been waiting for. You're the one we've been searching for. Jesus said, well done, Peter. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all of the powers of hell shall not overcome it. This is the very first scripture in which we get introduced to the word church. What is the church? Have you ever considered, have you ever thought much about what the nature of the church is or what it is designed to be? It's interesting because the last census told us that 59% of people in the United Kingdom believe in the Christian God. They affiliate themselves with the Christian faith. But the census also tells us that only 6% of people in the United Kingdom actually belong to a church, which tells me that there is a cavernous gap between those who actually believe and those who belong. And my conclusions of the matter could possibly be that there are some grave misconceptions about what church is and what it isn't. Have you ever encountered some of those misconceptions? Have you been talking with people? Oh, I go to a church. What, really? You go to a church? What's that like? Oftentimes, people have misconceptions that the church is irrelevant. It's just a moral watchdog. It's an institution. It's just a building. It's just something that you attend. It's something that you go to. There's many various misconceptions about the church. And I think we should just get back to the essence of what the church is and what it isn't. And so Jesus introduces his disciples to this word church. This is the very first time in all of Scripture that it is mentioned. And it's interesting because he uses an ancient, obscure Greek word to describe the nature of the church. It was an obscure word in that it wasn't really used much. It was kind of a political type of word that was used by the Roman state. Obviously, it's a Greek word, but Jesus uses it in this context. And the word is ecclesia. It's a beautiful word, isn't it? Ecclesia. And it literally means the gathering of the called out ones. That's cool, isn't it? Those who have been called out of darkness into light. This is the essence of what the church is. Oftentimes, people think of the church as just a building. 
the stained glass chapel on a hill, the large sanctuary with a new car park, the bricks and mortar. The church, however, is not the bricks and mortar. The church today is not this beautiful building that we are meeting in, but the church, rather, is you and me. The church is the people, those of us who have been called from darkness into light, which is to say that where you go, the church goes. When you move, the church moves. Church is not like the gym, you know. I don't know how many of you go to the gym. Some of us, you know, we don't go to the gym that often, um, myself included. But church, you know, when you go to the gym, you kind of like, you check in with your little card, don't you, or your tag, you check in, you go into your business, and then you leave, and then you go back a week later, maybe a month later, maybe six months later. <laughs> um, like people like me. Um, and then you go back and you check in and you do your thing again and then you leave. And it's a place you go to, right, isn't it? The, the church is not like a gym as many people would see it. It's not a place that we check in and check out of because I can't check in and check out of myself. I can't attend myself because I am the church. You are the church. So when we get together on a Sunday like this, this is the gathering of the church. And when we come together in this beautiful building, we get to encourage one another in our faith. We get to inspire each other in love. We get to worship together. We get to be inspired by the preaching of the Word of God. It's the gathering of the church. And then when service ends today, church does not finish. The church goes on the move throughout all of London. That's, a good, that's good news, isn't it? So this is what the church is. So what does it mean to plant churches? It means that we establish communities of Jesus' followers throughout London. Why do we do that? Because people need Jesus. Listen to this, what Paul, how Paul describes it in Ephesians chapter 1. It's in the message translation. He says it like this. Oh, no, I've gone too far down. Oh no, there we go. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. That's a beautiful way of putting it, isn't it? The church, this community of people, the called out ones from darkness into light, is God's means by which he is breaking his kingdom or ushering his kingdom into the world. It's the means by which he is filling the world with his presence. It is the means by which we fulfill the great commission of making disciples, which Mark Bishop talked about two weeks ago. It is the means by which we transform communities. We change the world around us. Shadwell will never be the same because of this community. Amen? London will never be the same because of all the various amazing churches in this city. We make disciples in the context of the church. We transform communities in the context of the church. And that's why we need to keep planting churches. So what does it mean to plant churches? And what does that look like? 
Well, Paul gives us a pretty good picture in the New Testament, Acts chapter 16, I think it is, somewhere around there. Um, It's about 12 years after Paul's amazing experience on the road to Damascus. He encounters Jesus. Remember, he ends up in Damascus. He flees Damascus under persecution. He ends up being sent home to Tarsus, which is where he grew up. And he's in Tarsus for about Um, 10 years thereabouts. We don't know what he's doing in Tarsus. He could have been doing ministry. He could have been chilling out, reading the Old Testament scriptures, trying to figure out what this new life in Christ means for those uh, um, of us who who believe in Jesus. Um, But not much is known about his time there. However, what we do know is that there was a church that began to be established in Antioch of Syria, just north of Israel. And it was this rapid growing church of Greeks and Jews alike. Barnabas was sent out by the apostles to this new church to pastor it and lead it. And he got there and he thought, man, this is a job too big for me. This is crazy. It's rapidly growing. I need my old mate, Paul, to come and give me a hand. So we think that Barnabas traveled to Tarsus. He went and found Paul and he said, Yo, this, this job is too big for me. I need you to need, come and give me a hand. So he brings Paul back to Antioch in Syria and he establishes Paul in this church as one of a handful of teaching pastors in the church in Antioch. Paul stays there for about two years and in that time um, there was a prophet who uh, talked about a coming famine. They collected an offering, took it down to the church in Jerusalem. Sorry, I'm going really fast because I've got to cover a lot of stuff. Anyway, you hanging with me? Am I? Yeah, okay, good. Okay, excellent. So then they go back to the church in Antioch of Syria, right? And they're into a time of fasting and praying in the church. And the Holy Spirit says to the elders of the church, set aside for me Paul and Barnabas for the work of the ministry. They set them aside and they get sent out into the Greco-Roman world. And they go and plant churches all throughout Galatia. And then they come back to the church in Antioch. There is a rhythm here. There is a rhythm of being planted and planting. And I want to suggest to you today that in order to plant churches, we firstly have to know what it means to be planted. Because planted people plant churches, as Paul and Barnabas demonstrate to us 2,000 years ago. And I'm sure you can see a similar rhythm throughout the ages. There is, a, there is a picture of people being planted in a faith community like this one and then being launched out. Paul, um, Phil has used the language of landing and launching. And there is this rhythm in, in the context of what we do, isn't it? So, I mean, for a lot of you, this is preaching to the choir this morning. But But for those of you who are maybe not so familiar, what it does mean to be planted in a church, and maybe from my perspective, I would love to share just three things with you this morning. So what does it mean to be planted in a community of faith in order that we might plant? Firstly, it's going to require, hang on, I forgot a scripture because I never look at my notes. I'm going to read you this scripture. And then we're going to get into the three points. What does it mean to look? What does it look like to be planted? How much time have I got? Six minutes. Brilliant. Um, <laughs> Psalms. I'm racing through this. I never normally talk this fast. <laughs> Psalms 92. Listen to this. It's up on the screen as well. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. 
They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no wickedness in him. So the psalmist uses this botanical language to describe what it means for a person to be planted in God's house. He says they will be planted like the cedars of Lebanon. They will flourish and they will bear fruit even in old age. They say that some of the cedars of Lebanon are 500 years old. In fact, it takes a cedar of Lebanon 50 to 100 years to actually reach its potential um, height, which is a long time, and isn't it? So that leads me to my first point, which what does being planted require from us? It requires our time, doesn't it? It requires our time. Like the cedars of Lebanon, it takes time for a cedar of Lebanon to grow. And I want to honor some of you who have been here for a decade. Decades or decade? <laughs> for some of you who have been for here for many years, I want to honor your faithfulness and what it means for you to be planted here. Because it takes time, doesn't it, to, 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 um, to, to be planted. It takes time for us to invest in relationships. And that's so much of what it means to be planted, isn't it? To, to, to put our roots down, to invest in relationships, to invest in people. And um, so it requires time. And, and I think, you know, when you, when you recognize that it requires, the, that it requires some time, it, it defines the way that you, that, the, that you see the way that you're planted as well. And I want to use this analogy just quickly. It, you know, it's, it's, it's often like a home and a, and a hotel. And, you know, I don't know how many of you have stayed in hotels before or, you know, accommodation outside of your home. Um, but I've, I've, I've done it on a few occasions, and um, I'm, I'm a shocking guest at a hotel because, um, because I love to keep the bed unmade. I just throw my towel wherever I want it. Um, and, you know, it's all good because, you know, you're, you're only going to stay there for a night, and you just check in, and you check out, and you leave, and you know the um, house clean is going to turn up and sort out all your stuff. But I'm telling you, if I did that in my home, Jessie would judo-chop me, and she would kick my butt because I can't treat my home like I treat a hotel, can I? Um, I, I, don't, I don't treat it the same. If I just threw my towel <laughs> across the bed and left my bed unkept and then just left my clothes all over the ground, which occasionally happens, but not often, <laughs> Jessie would, um, <laughs> would, would tell me where to go. She would um, be like, all right, buddy, you can't, this is not a hotel. I'm not, your I'm not your cleaner. Pick up your towel, hang it up, make the bed, put your clothes away. Okay, you can't treat this like you're just coming and going. When you recognize that you're planted here, it changes the way you treat it, doesn't it? You don't just treat it like a hotel. You throw your stuff everywhere. You check in, you check out, oh, someone else will do that. No, you recognize that this is your home. And it changes the way that you interact with it. It changes the way that you um, uh, uh, treat it. This is what Paul says in Ephesians. Again, in the Meshes translation, it says, God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here, in what he is building. God is building a home. And I want to encourage you today, if you're here for six months, two years, five years, or 10 years, it doesn't matter. I want to encourage you to see this as your home. 
and we get the opportunity here today to um, offer people, offer heaven's welcome home for anyone who walks through these doors. I don't know if you've ever been into a Danish home before. You know, they've got their whole hugger thing going on. You know, they have their beautiful candles and all that type of stuff. And it's great. It's got an atmosphere, doesn't it? You walk into their home, you're like, oh, what's that smell? That's great. And, you know, it just feels nice, doesn't it? And every home has an atmosphere, doesn't it? What is the atmosphere of this home? Does it carry with it an atmosphere of faith? Is there the sound of hope? Is there the environment of love? I want to encourage each of us that we have a part to play when it comes to creating the atmosphere of home in this place. We can offer faith. We can offer our hope. We can create an environment of love today and, and, and make this home. Amen? So I'm racing through these things. I'm so sorry. Number two. Okay. The second thing that we can offer in terms of what it means to be planted here, is our talent. This is what, this is what the three T's, of course it's got to be three T's, okay? 1 Corinthians, <laughs> classic preacher, move. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, 27, it says this, Paul speaking. He, he uses, um, he's, trying, he's trying to find language in order to describe the nature of the church. And so this is what he lands on, it's beautiful. He says, now you are the body of Christ, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you has a part to play in it. He says, you are the body of Christ. In another, at another time, in Ephesians, I think, he says, Christ is the head, the church, you, the people, are the body of Christ, which is to say that each and every single one of us has something to offer each and every single one of us has a part to play. I mean, consider if I looked at my own body and I said, you know what, I'm not, I'm not vibing my liver right now. I'm just done with it. Can you operate on me and take my liver out? Or my kidneys, I'm just not feeling my kidneys. My eye, I'm not so into my eye, my ear. You know, I'm not so much into my leg anymore. I would never dismember myself in that way. And the same is true in the church. Each and every single one of us, like a body, has a function. The body is functional, the body is active, and the body of Christ is supposed to be functional and active. Each and every single one of us has something to offer. Church is not like a football match. Have you ever been to a football match? It's 22 people on a field, 22,000 spectators yelling at the football players. This is not the, the picture of the church. The picture of the church is the 22,000 people on the field. Church is not a spectator sport. Everyone has a part to play. Everyone has something to offer, and it is valuable. You know what? I never, I'm racing through this. I never preach like this. I'm so sorry. Um, I, um, <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was going to say, I never thought that I would be a preacher. I never thought that I could stand on a platform like this and, and, and deliver what I believe to be the Word of God. I never thought that I would lead a church. I never thought that I could pastor a church. I never saw myself doing it. Maybe deep down in my heart somewhere there was an inkling of it, but I never genuinely saw myself doing it until someone recognized the God-given potential in me and drew it out. And not only that, but opened up a space and a place for me and said, you have something valuable to contribute. We need the gift of God on your life. The same is true for each and every single one of us. Let's be a church 
Let's be a community of Jesus followers who draws out the God-given potential inside of each and every single one of us and values the gifting that God has placed on your life. Amen? Third and finally, we're on the home straight people. What does it mean to be planted? We can offer our time, we offer our talents, and we offer our treasure. This is what Jesus says. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Where is your heart this morning? This is the question that I want to ask. What does it mean to be planted in church? It means that we sow our lives into its soil. We sow our time. We sow our talents. We sow our treasure which is to say that we give our heart to it. We connect our heart to what God is doing in this place. We say, my heart is here because Jesus so beautifully says that our treasure, our bank accounts, our, our, our finances, they follow our hearts. Where is your heart this morning? Is your heart connected to what God is doing here? Is your heart connected to the people in this room? Is your heart invested into the soil here today? In a moment, we're going to give an opportunity for everyone to contribute something financially. And obviously, last week, Michael talked about giving time and, and talents, and, and there's still opportunity for you to do that if that's what you would like to do. And we just want to put this out there today um, and give people an opportunity to contribute something financially. You know, we often don't talk about finances at this church, and it's only two times a year that we give an opportunity to, to contribute financially. Um, and if you're a part of this church, then you'll know that to be true. And if you're here for the first time, please don't feel any pressure whatsoever to contribute anything today. We count you as a guest, and we're thankful that you're with us today. But if you count this to be your church, and uh, this is the place where you say, you know what, my heart is here. I've invested my time, my talent, my treasure here. Then we would love to give you the opportunity to sow something um, uh, financially um, into this place as well. So that, not only that, this can continue to, to be a place where we can gather together and... and um, and, and be encouraged together, but so that we can also continue to, to step out and be bold and courageous in our work of planting churches. And so I'm going to pray for, for what I've, you know, for the message and just, you know, hopefully you've received something from what I've said today. We're going to pray that, you know, um, God's just going to seal what's been said in your hearts today. And then I'm going to throw it over to Phil. And then Phil's going to jump up and he is going to talk to us about how that's all going to happen, how we're going to give today. So why don't we close our eyes and bow our heads this morning. Father, we're so thankful for our, all that you're doing amongst us today. God, we're thankful for the vision that you've given this community here to make disciples to transform communities and to plant church. And ultimately, it's not just our vision, but it's your vision. 
And we thank you that you've not just left us without one, but you've given us such a strong sense of direction. You've given us such a strong sense of um, where to go and our future before us, Lord. We're mindful of that today, God. God, right now, I just ask that you would just seal in people's hearts what's been said today. Thank you for the faithfulness of your people. So many faithful people in this room, God, who have been here for so many years and have sowed so much of their lives into this space and just honour that and honour them, God. And for those of us who are new to the story, God, I just pray that you would soften our hearts for this community and that we would come to a place where we would too would say, yeah, you know what, I can, I can sow something. I can, I can give something. And so, God, we thank you for all that you're doing amongst us. We thank you for the churches that are yet to come out of this community. We thank you for the story that's gone before us and the future that is still out in front of us. And God, I pray you'd bless your people today. God, let your favor be evident in their lives. Thank you for them. We know that you're with them, for them. And I just pray that the confidence of of, of that would be with them. The boldness of that would be with them as they walk out of this place today. In Jesus' name, amen.